Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast, produced by City Current and brought to you by Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance. This show shares personal stories and insight from those who are giving back and making a difference so we can learn and do the same. We cover life lessons, business advice, passion, and purpose. Now here's our host, the CEO of City Current, Jeremy Park. Welcome to the Changemakers podcast produced by City Current and powered by Higginbotham. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the power and the magic of adoption. We're honored to be joined by Mark Melson. He is the president and CEO of Gladney Center for Adoption. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jeremy. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Absolutely. And so we'll get to know you personally, professionally. We'll cover a lot of ground. Let's start with a little bit of your backstory. So give us a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up. Let's start there. Sure, sure. Absolutely. I grew up in the North Texas area, actually a little town called Euless, Texas. Our our family was one of the the founding families there going back several generations. So grew up there, uh, went off to college and uh, at both Texas A&M and the University of North Texas. So I stayed in the area in general. And, and uh, after I graduated uh, college, I wanted to kind of spread my wings a little bit. So I headed down to Louisiana for a number of years and uh, worked in the nonprofit sector down in Louisiana for a bunch of years before I I met my little Cajun wife and uh, drug her back to Texas. And uh, we've been now married uh, almost 25 years. So it's been a it's been a fantastic journey. But yeah, I love growing up in North Texas, love being a Texan. And uh, we've built our family here and it's been a great adventure. Talk about the shift in terms of working in the nonprofit sector. Is that something that always attracted you, was always pulling at your heart? Where did that service piece kind of step in? Was that something from your parents? Like where, where did that step in? So that, that's a great question. I started out, I think, okay, I'll, I was thinking about money. I thought I want to be a stockbroker. That seemed to me like a person who makes money. So let me be a stockbroker. Broker that looked cool, and realized that wasn't in the cards. My math skills weren't weren't good enough for that. Um, and I got more into sales when I went to Louisiana. I got into sales. I did get on the kind of financial side for a while, and I got into sales for a company that I had interned with. And um, I realized just there wasn't a lot of passion for selling something that wasn't something that really resonated with me. I was in water treatment sales, whatever that is. And um, I learned, okay, that's not anything that really is is grabbing me. And honestly, I answered a blind ad. Well, it turns out it was for the Muscular Dystrophy Association to be a district director in, in New Orleans. And um, at that point, I thought, well, this is interesting. This is a real job. And it sounded like a real grown-up adult job. And, and I knew they did a lot of good. And I just, I, I got involved with the children. I got involved with the cause so much. And I realized how quickly the impact so many people can make on helping the lives of those that may be a little less fortunate or maybe struggling. And to me, that really started kind of this fire in in myself in the nonprofit sector. And from basically that day forward, um, several positions and several organizations later, I slowly worked my way to Gladney. And um, it really came together at Gladney in the child welfare space and adoption space and was just such a, a powerful piece for me personally to see the, again, the impact that people not only had the ability financially to make, but wanted to make. And to see that that fire in a donor's eyes when they realize, wow, we can really see something great happen from all of our hard work. And if we can make that match where the right cause and need uh, supports where their passions are, it's just such an amazing thing to see those th- great things come together. 
You and I are both North Texas alum, and so is Rusty Reed, the CEO of Higginbotham. And so give us one fun memory of your time at North Texas. So it was interesting. Um, when I, I'd been at Texas A&M and I left A&M and I, uh, I had a grandfather that passed away and I moved back home and I, I moved in with my grandmother and I thought, let me go to North Texas. My brother had gone there and let me go to North Texas now. And coming from A&M to North Texas, it was different. I, you know, I'd heard all the stories and, and obviously Mean Joe Green and all this great stuff with the football and everything. But I was used to being at A&M and I remember the very first football game I went to, they handed out the fight song on a piece of paper. And I thought, well, this is a different environment than it was at Texas A&M. But I really enjoyed it. Um, we had been there. I had been there just for a few months and they were filming a movie there on campus. And uh, it was so much fun to get to experience that. But I really loved it. It was an opportunity really for me to grow up. I'll tell a funny story. I, I was I was doing OK in, in college. I was sort of a, a C students rule the world kind of guy at that time. And I was in an accounting class and was really struggling. And I was trying to do my best and trying to really put myself forward. I was a junior and not doing great. And I can remember strategically choosing a seat in class next to this young woman that was just gorgeous, way out of my league. But I thought, oh, I'm going to sit by her anyway. And I can remember an accounting uh, class, accounting test. I got my grade back. I got my test back and I had scored 103 on it. And no joke, I went down to the professor and I said, 103 out of what? And she said, well, 100, you uh, you missed one, but you got this bonus question right. And I got to be honest with you, Jeremy, I don't remember how I did that. I was just throwing numbers together and it worked. But the magic of that, I went back and sat down and this beautiful young lady sitting next to me, she had not done as well. And she sees my grade and she's like, oh my gosh, we have to study together. You're so smart. And I thought, I am not, but I'm not going to let her know that. Now, the relationship didn't go anywhere. She was way out of my league and would never give me the time of day. But I learned at that point, I've got to study because I've got to help her. And that was really a turning point in my life with hard work and perseverance. I thought, okay, I can do this. And that's really carried through. Honestly, I learned it at North Texas and it carried through from there, which was great. Nice. I love the fact, too, that your brother went there and the legacy piece of it. I'm in the same thing. My brother and I both went there and, you know, having the motivation, the motivation to drive to say, hey, whether it's studying or, you know, success or whatever it is. When you have the motivation, the fire, it's amazing what yeah. you can do. <laughs> I just had to find that right motivator. And there it was. <laughs> it it certainly was. Well, let's switch over because, sure. you know, on your end, you have worked with some amazing nonprofits. When you look at Harris Methodist Health Foundation, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of North Texas, very prominent, well-known brands. When you talk about Texas and, uh, you know, powering the good. Give me something, you know, within the nonprofit side, when you talk about your experience and carrying that over and, uh, you know, really refining your leadership skills, give me one experience that stands out in the past that really has helped you succeed now. So the biggest thing I get a lot of times, and we talk to people and you say, oh, I'm a nonprofit. And, and the first thing you get back is, oh, I could never ask anybody for money. That seems so hard to do. And I was very much in the same boat as well, starting at Harris and even, even before that in Louisiana and, and coming back here. I didn't like that, don't like that part either. And what I learned is in all of your work in nonprofit, if you're coming at it from pure intention and if the work that you do is honorable and the organization you work with, like those brands you mentioned that are just such great organizations, people absolutely are willing to sit down and talk. And, and when I, I would literally say, and I say to this day, I'm not good at asking for money. However, I'm going to present an opportunity that if it's the right opportunity and you're motivated and wanted to give the support that great. If it's not, Give me the chance to go back to the drawing board and come back with something else. I want this relationship between the donor and the nonprofit to be a good, productive relationship. Giving should feel good. 
And if a person doesn't feel good about giving, something's gone wrong. And frankly, it's gone wrong on the nonprofit side. So I approached it from that. With, and again, we had wonderful Big Brothers Big Sisters, amazing organization, what they do. Obviously, the hospital system here in North Texas is just incredible. And the work that they do is just unbelievable. The heroes at work, they're just amazing. It was quote unquote, an easy product to sell, if you will. However, that's not everybody's motivator. And so my focus has always been, and even at Gladney, of how do I present an opportunity to a person who I know is generous and wants to be generous, but we want to make it the right fit. And that really helped me through, throughout my career in nonprofit, really helped to kind of guide me through this process. And I learned if we're doing it for the right reasons, we're never, ever wrong. And whether that's helping a child who's in the child welfare system or a, a child in a hospital or a kid who needs a mentor or whatever the, the situation is, if we're doing it for the right reason, we're absolutely never wrong. And that's worked so well for me. The alignment of the heart and the mind, the pure intention really drives success, which is powerful. And it gives you power. It gives you the center of being able to do all the right things and especially to make the ask, which is important with confidence. Yeah. I want to ask one more question, then we'll switch over and talk about Gladney in more detail. For you and your wife, you mentioned obviously the Cajun side, meeting your, your beautiful wife. Give me something that it could be a tradition, especially on her end or something that you've taken with you from Louisiana. So in other words, what's something like a tradition or something that you do now that is is a carryover from your time in Louisiana, especially with her? Oh, uh, we, uh, I, I, when I, when I went down there, I got ingrained in the local community and these Southern Louisiana towns were just so great. And, and I, I was such a foreigner coming in from the outside. I just look, I mean, I looked like a banker and I didn't, I didn't fit in, but they, they embraced me so well. I loved and grew to love so much, just amazing crawfish boils. I, I mean, and it's not, and it's like barbecuing in Texas. It's not just the actual piece of, of food that you're putting in your mouth. It's the whole experience around it. And just, the romancing of it that goes on and the passion that some of these wonderful Cajuns have for, for boiled crawfish and just seafood in general. We brought that back and, and we've been back in Texas now for, for a little over 20 years. And, and on my wife's birthday, which is in May, we always boil crawfish or I'll go get crawfish and we'll invite friends over and stuff. And it's fun just to see these true Texans that have never really eaten crawfish much have been a part of that, a big crawfish boil to get to experience that as well. And just, again, the, the music and the passion and, and, and maybe a Miller life or two or something. It's just such a fun experience. And, and, and we've tried to instill that in our, our, our children, our own family, just that, you know, you may not have the most money in the world, but boy, you can certainly be happy in an environment where you've got good friends and, and, and a good opportunity around each other. And that's what the Cajun, that community does so, so well. And so we've brought that back with us. It's just been so much fun. I was a marketing major at North Texas. Our senior project was on Razoo's. Yeah, there <laughs> so, you go. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. What, what makes a good uh, crawfish boil? So is there a secret to your success on that side for the experience of it? I, I tell you what, um, and I've tried different recipes. My father-in-law is just a great chef. He's a surgeon down in Southern Louisiana, but he's a, he's a great chef and he does a wonderful job with that. So I've followed some of his leads. And of course, now with the great internet, you can Google everything like that. I, I am more of a, of a boil the spices with the crawfish kind of guy. Some people will put spices on at the very end and it makes it real spicy to touch. And I, I'm not crazy about that. I, I like them to be pretty hot and I enjoy that piece of it. But boy, putting some sausage in there, putting a little corn in there, putting a little potato in there and some mushrooms and other things. 
Oh my God, it gets me excited just thinking about it right now. I can't wait for crawfish season to come back. <laughs> Making everyone hungry. I like it. That's right. That's right. So let's switch over and let's keep it on the family thread, but we're going to transition because you yourself are a Gladney dad. And so talk about your family and especially around adoption. So it's interesting. My wife and I, when we got married, we were a little bit older. We were in our later 20s when we got married and immediately wanted to have children and and struggled a lot having children. We went through a lot of infertility and uh, honestly didn't know if we would ever get get pregnant. And and we and we did and we we lost that child. But then we were just dedicated and focused. And we thought, you know, God has a plan for us and and we'll figure this out. And we were blessed about a year and a half later with our daughter, our oldest child. Um, um, she's now a 20 year old uh, sophomore at Baylor University and, and doing well. And uh, she was such a miracle and such a blessing. And uh, we thought, well, great, we've we've got a child and, and and this is our plan. And then we were blessed just a couple of years later with another daughter, which was just amazing. And she is now a senior in high school, captain of her golf team, just a, a great spirit, a great heart, a great child. And we, my wife and I thought, well, okay, that's, that's really it. Prior to the birth of our first child, we'd actually come to Gladney um, when we just moved back to North Texas from Louisiana, and we had heard about them. We were going to adopt through Gladney's China program, and and like with International, it has some ups and downs, and it hit kind of a a delay, so we switched over to the domestic side, and it was in the middle of all that is when my wife uh, got pregnant uh, with the child that we lost, but that's when we paused everything and said, let's just take a break and see what happens. So we were blessed with two beautiful children, but I was familiar with Gladney. I have an older brother went to North Texas with me that was adopted as well, not through Gladney. So adoption was in our family. We knew a lot about it. And uh, when I had the opportunity to come over to Gladney, it w- I was at North uh, at Big Brothers Big Sisters, and we were finishing a campaign there. And, and it was a great position. I really enjoyed my work there and uh, had an opportunity to talk to Gladney. It was in one of those great spots where I had a job, I didn't need a job. So it was very much why do you need me? And I can remember we were in a CEO transition at that time. Um, and um, the CEO who was retiring was there and they were interviewing me and the current CEO. And I, I said, well, you know, why do you guys need me? And the current CEO at the time gave this real strategic, beautiful answer and uh, but very thought out and strategic and planning and this and numbers and, 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 and metrics and things like that. And then I looked at the other outgoing CEO. I said, why do you need me? He said, Mark, there's a lot of little kiddos in this world that need our help. And I think you can help us help them. And I thought that's a much better answer. So that really grew my passion for Gladney and for adoption. And in our own personal family, we'd gone down that road and it was probably five or six years after being here. I was giving a presentation up in Philadelphia to a group of donors. We'd done a big event up there and and my wife caught me after I'd come off stage and, and she said, if we're ever going to do this, now's the time to do this. And so we chose to look at adopting a child out of foster care. Um, we were open to any race of child, any sex of child. We were all over the of the page of what we would we were open to. And we were blessed to get matched to a little kiddo um, here in Texas, a, a precious little, little child. He was six years old at the time. And um, um, unfortunately, like a lot of our little kiddos coming from foster care, he had had a rough start to life. And as we learn more about trauma and research and how those effects have, have, have affected him, he's he's had some struggles. But we grew our family through adoption. Um, he is Jonathan is now 14 years old. And, um, you know, every day we're working on on getting better and improving. And and he's had some struggles, but uh, that rounded out our family. And my wife, who's a, a saint walking right now, has been such an amazing mom to all of our children, but to Jonathan, certainly to be able to care for him and, and the needs that he has had uh, throughout his time together with us. It's just been amazing to watch. 
I think it's powerful for you to have the firsthand experience. Also, too, going back to your family and knowing that adoption was, you know, a, a main piece of your family. So you have the trust, you have the respect, you have the experience, you have it with your own family, but you also have the challenges. And I think that, you know, it really does open your heart and your mind and your ability to communicate with all the families and all the kids on both sides. Like, hey, look, I know the power of this. I also know the challenge of this, but I know the magic of what can happen for an individual, for a child and for a family. And so I definitely, that will be a a common thread throughout this as we carry that conversation forward. Let's go ahead. We've been talking about it, but let's go ahead and talk, you know, at at greater length in terms of what you all do. So when you talk about Gladney Center for Adoption, give us the the perspective because it's well over 100 years, 136 years. So give us a little bit of history and some perspective. Absolutely. So yeah, glad it's 136 years old this year, which is just amazing. Um, we have we, we we started day one, and it's the same today. We have a very simple belief that every child deserves a loving and caring family, and we work tirelessly every day to to help ensure that happens. Our founder, if you will, goes way, 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 way back, was a, a, a circuit-riding Methodist minister named Reverend Isaac T. Morris. And, and his focus, he realized at the time, this was when in the 1800s, um, it, it's interesting right now with 1883 and the Yellowstone series that's come out, it kind of brought it some spotlight to that part of Texas. Um, and that's when Reverend Morris was doing his thing. But a lot of little kiddos coming out of the civil war and and things that were going on had been abandoned and orphaned and they were just left on the streets. And he and his wife, Belle took in these kiddos and said, I'm going to try to find homes for them. And it was the exact same thing of, of what we do today. Then there wasn't organized foster care systems or things like that, but that's what he did. And that really translated on. Then we were what was called the Texas Children's Home and AIDS Society. We were one of just a few children's home societies that were in the U.S. The, uh, the, the, the founder was in Chicago. And so we were a part of that. And it was later in the, the teens and 20s that Mrs. Gladney, Edna Gladney, got involved. Mrs. Gladney and her husband, Sam, ran a uh, the Gladiola Wheat and uh, Flour Company out of Sherman, Texas, and And uh, she didn't have any children, but she was passionate about helping um, children who who were either orphaned or abandoned. She worked a lot with single moms who were raising kiddos that husbands had died during World War One. And so she started a, a daycare home for them so that moms could go to work and she could care for those. And that really brought her passion into child welfare. Reverend Morris and his wife, Bell recognized that and got Mrs. Gladney on the board. And after Reverend Morris passed away and, and Bell passed away, the, the board went to Mrs. Gladney and said, would you step in on an interim basis to help us run the organization and be the superintendent, it was called then. And she ran it for 33 years and later was renamed in her in her honor. There's a, there's a great movie, if anybody's ever bored in the middle of the night, can't sleep to go into like Turner Classic movies or something called Blossoms in the Dust. And it really was a spotlight of her life. Now, there were some... Hollywood liberties to it, but it talked about her passion for for adoption. And she really made this shift at that point. All of these children that were being abandoned on their doorstep, she realized, wait, those children are coming from somewhere. What's going on? And she really focused on how do we grow our services and support for the birth mother, the expectant mom, and how do we care for her and provide her with resources? And that really started that Gladys journey in what we call the domestic infant program. 
and we operated a maternity home on our campus for 70 plus years and 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 tried to provide resources and services the best we knew at the time um, to care for an expectant mom and then adopted families who were coming to us in most cases then from infertility issues um, and try to make those those things come together. But since that time, we've even expanded our services. We operate now, and this has gone up and down since we began. We've operated in 18 different countries. Now we're in three countries, China, Taiwan, and Colombia. We started an international program in the early 90s, really to focus on helping kiddos there. And uh, that's seen a lot of changes up and down. Obviously, with COVID, it's changed a lot as well, and it's really slowed those programs down. But we're still active in those countries and, and looking to expand. And then in the late 90s, we sort of shifted back to our roots. We hadn't done much work in foster care since those early days. And we took a step back and realized there's a lot of little kiddos right here in Texas and around the country that are living in foster care that are legally available for adoption that need a home. And could that be an area of focus for us? So over the last few years, especially the last two decades, but really the last few years, we have seen so much growth in our focus in those areas of providing services and support to families who want to adopt a child like my family and I did out of foster care. How can we help those children be successful and thrive? And not that it's diminished any of our focus on helping families grow their family through adoption through the domestic infant program and services and support services and counseling services for expectant moms and birth moms who who are, who are making an adoption plan and certainly those still those kiddos coming out of orphanages and other countries. But we've really seen sort of an expansion in the area of focus as it relates to helping kiddos coming out of foster care and really wrapping our, our arms around the needs that are there for those kiddos that are coming from such hard places in, in their early life. So that's kind of where we are today. Um, we'll place uh, about 150 kiddos this year for adoption. That's split pretty much between foster care and uh, foster adoptions and our domestic program. We still, as I said, operate internationally, but COVID slowed that down quite a bit. It's starting to pick back up as we saw China's now reopening. And so we'll see where that goes. And there's opportunities there, but there's still room for, for growth and impact in this world. Goes to show you do a lot. Let's go ahead and take it in threads and let's start with the foster care side, the foster children. Give us a, an idea of the number of kids. When you talk about youth in the foster care system, you know, I know it's going to be a range, but give us an idea of just how large that is. And just like your own experience, what these children are having to deal with and process, the trauma that they're coming in with. So give us a little bit of their backstory and, and the number. Absolutely. So in the U.S. today, there's about 400,000 or so kiddos that are living in foster care right now. Close to 100,000 of those kids are legally available for adoption. And that means along the way, the parental rights were terminated and more than likely there's no kinship adoption. An aunt or an uncle or a cousin is not going to come forward or hasn't been found yet to adopt. So these kiddos are just waiting. And, and in, in the foster care arena, many families, amazing families that choose to be foster parents, many of them are adoption motivated, meaning they would rather adopt a child out of foster care and they're hoping to adopt, adopt an infant or a young child. And, and so they're going to foster for a few years and that child may become available for adoption and they'll adopt that child. Gladney's focus has been much more on kiddos that are a little bit older, kiddos that the parental rights have already been terminated and more than likely the foster parent is not going to adopt that child. Um, and now they're just waiting and they're kind of stuck in the system. And in Texas, there's there, it ranges between 20 and 30,000 kids that are in foster care and anywhere between 
five and 7,000 children that are legally available for adoption, again, that are just waiting. Sadly, most of those kiddos that are waiting are eventually going to age out of the system at 18. And, and um, there's a lot of great services that the state can provide to those children, like education and things. But the reality is, as you talked about, the traumas that they've been through in their life, they're not really set up to be successful in those areas. And and right now we see most children are pulled from a family because of what we call neglectful supervision. Just mom and dad, or, or if it's a single parent, they're just not in a position to care for the child. And the child may have some struggles already, and they're just not in a position to care for the child. And sadly, once that snowball starts rolling, uh, you know, a, a teacher or a counselor or somebody identifies that the child's not doing well. And as they investigate and they look, they realize that maybe the child's not getting been given the, the best care and they get pulled into foster care. Every effort right now is made to to replace the child back into the biological home. Unfortunately, sometimes that's just eventually not the right night, not the right solution for that child. And one of the areas we focus is at some point, you've got to look at the rights of the child and what does the child deserve and need. And, and obviously we want to provide them with a, a loving, caring family. But certainly if the if the birth parents are capable and have the resources and resources can be provided so that they can care for that child better, that's that's the best scenario. But sadly, and so many times we see it's just not in the cards to work out that way. So these kiddos get placed. The hard part is, and from research and, and, and the wonderful, amazing work that's being done in, 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 in researching trauma to the brain, right here at TCU, right down the road, um, the Parent Care and Purpose Institute, they do a lot of work on how trauma affects the brain, especially at, the, at a young age. People like Dr. Bruce Perry have done just such amazing work on how trauma affects a child at a young age. And, and even from those very first critical days and weeks, if there's neglect that's taken place, how that can impact a child's brain to ability to develop. And so those are areas and priorities where we at GLADME have begun to look closer at of how do we start to fill some of those gaps and help those families and prepare those families for, for, for challenging situations. Again, like what my own family has gone through, but yeah, we see a lot of, a lot of little kiddos that are struggling and our focus, especially at GLADME is how do we just find the very best home and situation for them and then surround them and resources, hopefully to make them be successful, help them to be successful. So carry that into then for a family, especially for parents who say, I want to be a part of the solution. I, I want to step in and be a forever home. Talk about the process. Yeah, absolutely. So family comes forward and says, hey, I want to adopt the child out of foster care. What do I do? It starts, there's a lot of trainings that they've got to go through. We supply a lot of different trainings that families have to get so many hours in preparation for, for this child. And then it sort of opened up their mind and their thoughts on the child they would like to have in their home. There's a lot of sibling groups. A lot of families come and say, I want a younger child or, you know, uh, or, 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 or whatever, um, opening their mind to say, these are the children that are available for adoption and, and finding where the right fit. They go through a home study process and it's a pretty invasive process. Process. We have to make sure that they're a great family and going to be a great fit for the child that's in their home and that they're prepared for the child that's in their home. So many times, and there's Hollywood does such an amazing job of telling these incredible stories like Blindside and Instant Family and things like that, where, you know, it always wins in the end. Your child is a blindside offensive tackle, you know, and, and, and it's all worked out in the end. The reality is there's so much that goes on before we ever get to that point. And, and, and the focus is a family has to be prepared and ready to say, 
I know this is going to be challenging. I know I'm bringing a child into my home that I didn't get the chance to witness every breath they've ever taken. And I don't know the traumas they've gone through. And honestly, even the file that they get um, doesn't tell the full story of what the child has gone through. There's so many gaps that are there. So the focus, a family has to be prepared to say, I've got to kind of relinquish control. I may have been an outstanding parent. And we have two perfect, beautiful daughters. And I would, I was one of those guys that would sit in chilies and judge every other parent for their child running around crazy, thinking how perfect our, our children are. And then uh, the good Lord bless us with a son that's, that's that crazy little child that now we're ducking down going, okay, everybody's looking at us now. But you have to be willing to say, I can suspend what I think I know about parenting and really be accepting and learning from this child. And I've got to put their needs first way before my own. And we have such amazing families that come forward and do that. Um, right now, what we're seeing is there's just a, a gap in resources available to help families. And the system is just so strained right now. And, and trying to find those therapeutic resources to help those families who may be struggling and get them prepared um, when those situations do arise. There's such a great need that's there for that right now. But once they go through that process, they get matched to a child um, based upon their desires and needs and the child's needs. And we do several visits to make sure it's a good fit. And once we've all determined that, hey, this is a good fit, we place the child at home, but then we stand beside them really for the rest of the child's life, but really walk alongside them while they're finalizing their adoption and making sure they've got the resources they need to be successful and help them through this process. Um, and then to be there to say, what else do you need? You know, when you have a question, something comes up or you're having a hard time or, or there's some challenging situations, we're here to help if we can through that process. Obviously it's challenging, just like you're mentioning, but at the same time, there's you know, a powerful experience that changes the child, it changes you, it changes your family for the better, right? It, it powers Absolutely. the good for yourself. So give us some words of encouragement Absolutely. based on what you've experienced firsthand. Well, it's interesting because, again, with our own son, we've seen, I mean, in, in our in, with the good times and the bad times, we've seen just such strides in him of of improvement and where he's wanting and trying to be better and again we still have some struggles to go through but he's 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 trying to, to, to get better and we know that the interesting dynamic that it's seen is within our, our immediate family as well and, and really with my daughters and myself and my wife you learn a level of empathy that everybody has a backstory everybody's journey to where they are in front of you today is, is, is a story that's there that we may not be aware of. It's real easy for us to drive up and down the highway and honk our horn and yell at people or, you know, run into somebody at Walmart and they're just not in a good place right now. And you, you, you tell yourself this story of they're just a bad person. What we've learned through this, I think is very much a level of empathy to say, Hey, who knows what that person today has gone through, what that child has gone through in everybody's class. You always had that one kid that was a little different. And it wasn't a, a good child. That's shown our children that you don't know what's going on in that child's home life right now. All we can compare it to is the love that we have in our home and the, 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 the healthy meals and the nutrition, the good night's sleep and the help with homework. That child may not be getting that. That child may be having to work to help support their family or have no parents at home when they come home and eating just a bag of chips for dinner and 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 no guidance and things like that. And then then we question why when they're at school the next day they're struggling. It's grown that that amazing level of empathy that's there. But really, we've also seen so many of these wonderful, beautiful children just thrive. 
once they've gotten that stability, once they've gotten that security, and once they've opened up their heart to go, this family really does love me for me and accepts me for who I am, and I'm safe now. If we're not meeting the safety needs of these children, those Haslow, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs, food, shelter, clothing, security, safety, things like that, there's no way they can learn and grow and love. And so once we've helped families understand that, you can just see that that love and that growth take place from there. Um, so many kiddos, these beautiful kiddos that are living in foster care right now that just that are, that are deserving of a family to care for them and love are just ready for that love and, and support. And, and, and it's a blessing to have families that come forward and say, yes, we can do that. And you just see those wonderful blindside stories that happen. You see those wonderful instant family stories that happen that, that, that these families are thriving because of that love that's there. You mentioned the pandemic, the impact on the international side. The pandemic really opened up the conversation in a good way around the importance of mental health. Yeah. When you talk about the trauma and you mentioned the work being done at TCU, how has that played a role in terms of the increased focus for the world on the importance of mental health, on trauma? How has that kind of helped your efforts or played a role in your yeah. efforts focused on helping our youth? Well, it's interesting because even at Gladney, as much as we've said, we're here for you for the rest of your child's life, whatever your needs are, call us and we'll try to find you resources and help. People are very prideful, especially when it comes to mental health. And I don't want to tell anybody about my problems. And certainly that there's a problem within my family. Everything looks very Rockwellian through the window. And I don't want to change that notion of that. And that's true in the adoption world as well. The good thing that's happened now is sort of the stigma of this bad mental health situation has kind of gone away. And people are now willing to raise their hand and say, wow, I think I need some help right now. Things are not going well and I can see it happening. I need help. And that's been positive because it's starting to raise the bar of mental health services that are out there and really the learning that goes goes through that. So the positive piece is we're seeing people now more raise their hand and say, hey, I need help. I'm in a rut. And they're saying it long before it's at a catastrophic moment. They're saying it early on and they're asking better questions, you know, especially in the adoption. I've noticed my child is doing this. Is that me as a parent doing something wrong? Is that a adoption thing? Is that a trauma thing? Help me understand that. And the quicker we can start to unpack those things, the better. But we are seeing many resources flood into the market now to try to help provide these, these needed mental health resources. The adoption side is a little bit unique because you start to layer in a few other factors that can be that can be um, in play. Not always, but sometimes you will we'll work through some identity issues. If you have a child that's been adopted, even if they're adopted from birth or out of foster care, out of an orphanage, at some point there may be an identity related question that comes up. Who really am I? Who's my aunt? What's, I, I know my mom and dad's story and they're amazing and they love me, but who really am I? And what we've seen historically, which is now starting to change, but in the mental health community, the second that a uh, a therapist would say, oh, you're adopted. Okay, bing, bing, bing. It's an identity thing. It's this, it's this, and the adoption is the problem. Well, that's not the case necessarily. There, there could be some back factors that are there, but one of the areas where we're focusing on and learning from Gladys' perspective is how do we learn from 
all of our clients and the stories that we're working with. We operate a home here on our campus that houses teen and preteen girls that are currently living in foster care that are hoping to find an adoptive home. We're learning from them every day. Now, a group home like that is, it's not a family environment, so there's only so far we can go, but we can learn about their traumas and hear their stories and say, okay, let's try this. Is this a better way to kind of work through some of these challenges? And as we learn and do that research, we can translate that into educational tools for families we're adopting a child who's coming from a hard place like that and then surround them. We opened up a counseling center here at Gladney um, that supports our families and beyond that has a, 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 an embedded focus on the adoption side, but it's therapeutic counseling that every family can come forward and say, hey, I need help and I've got questions about this. So we're piloting programs now that we think will be successful, but it really does. It brings to light the needs that are out there right now and frankly, the gaps that are in the mental health community. Touch briefly, there's so much ground to cover and we're already sure. you know, running short on time, but touch sure. briefly on your work with the expectant mothers. On the expectant mother side, it's interesting. And, and this is where we've seen such dramatic changes in adoption. And, and I'll be honest with you, Gladney's is an old organization. We've been around a long time, but we've continued to evolve and try to reinvent ourselves. And we've every generation of Gladney, especially working with uh, a birth mother, is learning from what we believe or the, the, the science at the time was telling us the best way to help support her. Right now, when an expectant mom comes to us, our first, our first conversation is, how do we help get you the resources you need? If you want a parent, how can we identify resources and support to help you parent? If adoption is the right choice, then let's talk about the next steps for adoption and what are the resources and support that you need while you're making your adoption journey. We are limited to some degree, but because of licensing as to how far we can go with that, but certainly we can help provide housing and support for her pregnancy needs and things like that throughout her adoption journey. And, and beyond that, we can continue to provide counseling for her um, if she has those counseling needs and things like that. But our focus, adoption's changed so much. Adoption has come so much more open now. Every expectant mom that we work with, a birth mother that comes through our doors that we work with, has the opportunity to choose the family for her child. And then the openness of that relationship is really sort of agreed upon between the adoptive parents and the birth mom or the birth parents. And they decide what's best for, for the child. And the nice thing is they get to have a relationship. They get to have some communication back and forth. Birth mom knows the care that her child is receiving. She knows the love that that child is receiving. And she also knows, hopefully knows, that there will come a day when she may meet her child again or have an opportunity to connect and know that that child realized she did such an amazing and selfless thing to care for her child by making this gift to this adoptive family. Um, and that's what's powerful about it. That's a change that's happened over the last 25, 30 years. Prior to that, adoptions were very closed off. There was no connection between the birth mother and the adoptive parents. And at that time, it was seen as, well, that's the best way for this to work going forward. We've since learned there can be a great relationship or some a knowledge relationship that's there that really can help both sides. It helps the child knowing their birth mother's been taken care of. It helps the family knowing more about the birth mother's past and history. It helps the birth mother knowing that her child's being cared for and that relationship can be there. But we're still learning and growing what that looks like. Um, as an as an as an organization, an older institution, we've you know we've had to change and shift and refocus on how can we care for birth moms' needs in a better way. We've seen some of those shifts really take place just in the last few years, and while we can provide greater counseling and care and support for her through this process. For you as president and CEO, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> 
It's a good question. I, I joke with my board about this. Um, we, we run an organization at a, an extreme deficit, and we do that intentionally because of the services we want to provide. And we're blessed with a donor base that steps in and says, we want to help provide this level of care and support to you that we know we can't charge in an adoption fee or it's going to be reimbursed by the state or what have you. And so there's always the financial side of running the organization that keeps me up. And, and in today's times with staff turnover that we've seen, uh, recruiting and hiring great staff and retaining those staff seems to be a real struggle right now, especially in the nonprofit, especially in the social welfare side. Those are some critical issues that are there. But um, the other area to that is is, is really the forward-facing view. We strive every single day, as I started with, we make every decision based upon what's in the best interest of the child. Sometimes we're fighting opposing factors. So from a legislative standpoint, we, we fight some battles where the thought is, okay, well, just if, if, if a birth mom is not ready to be a parent, but if we, we supply her with enough financial resources, maybe she can do it. And sometimes that does work. Many times it doesn't. And so sometimes we're fighting political battles as well. Let's look at what's in the best interest of the child, the birth mom, the adoptive parents, and how do we make these three things all work together? Again, helping that child to thrive and be supportive. Um, those those are things that 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 are always on my mind of how can we be in a a phase of continual improvement how are we always learning and growing there's a concept called a knower versus a learner we want to be in that learning mindset because we've been around a long time and and we we think we're good at what we do we also know we can always improve and get better. How do we learn from our past mistakes? How do we learn from what we're learning from these kiddos and families and translate that into growth opportunities for Gladney, not just for Gladney, but for the child welfare system? And, and how can we be a better partner of that? Those are the things that kind of always keep running through my mind. So how so can how the community can help? help? How can we help your efforts? Uh, well, there's, there's, there's several great ways. We need more amazing social workers coming into the adoption space. So if, if, if it's if it's young people that are thinking about going to college and thinking about social work, adoption is such an amazing, amazing space um, because of the impact that you get to make. Um, we're starting to see more, but but uh, identifying more caseworkers and more social workers of color that are wanting to go into the adoption space. There's always opportunity for growth that's there. The best thing we can do is create a very diverse workforce that's really caring for their clients that, that may resemble or look like them. So there's a big need that's there. Continue to talk about adoption. Um, there's sometimes it's some of those things in our history sort of says you just don't talk about it. We we think they adopted. No, it's time for us to spread our voice out and really to say, you know what, adoption can be an amazing and powerful option for a young woman who's finds herself in an unintended pregnancy and is not ready to be a parent. And even though there may be forces saying, hey, there's resources you should parent giving her the voice to say, you know what, I've got to do what's right for me and what's right for my child and maybe adoption's it. But to continue to share that message, continue to advocate for kiddos who are coming from hard places, um, learn about the needs of these children and how how our, our communities can rally around. We've, we've formed a partnership locally here with the YMCA. They've just done an amazing job of really telling the stories of kiddos that are in foster care that need that forever family and continue to be an advocate. And what I would say to people, and I've had a lot of people say this to me about our own family, Mark, I can never do what you've done. And that's true. Adopting a child, especially a kiddo coming from a hard place, is not for everyone. It's 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 there's amazing, beautiful stories, but there's also some hard stories, and it's not for everyone. 
that they can support someone either financially to support that family or the institution or to be there for them as a resource respite. My wife and I, when we first adopted our son, there was a local church, not far. We were not a part of this church, but we heard they did this adoption night where you could come and drop off your foster child or adopted child out of the foster system. And they'd show them a movie and kind of babysit them for the night. That was such a blessing for our family just to go have a quiet dinner. We were so blessed to be able to have that moment. And that's where so many families can step in and say, you know what, let me take little Johnny or little Sally and I'm going to take them to the mall or the park today. And you go get a couple hours of, of whatever it is you need to do. There's so many ways that people can stand up and support these families and be a resource to them. That's tremendously helpful. Yeah, very well said. I love it. Let's wrap up with a lightning round. It's a fun chance for us to get to know you better. So quick questions and uh, quick answers. <laughs> Let's start out. What do you like to do to relax? If you saw my game, it's maybe not that relaxed. I love to play golf. Um, my middle child is the captain of her golf team, and she's gotten so good. And I've enjoyed just watching her grow and flourish there. She's such uh, a little bright little inspiration. I love to play golf any chance I can. Um, I love to do that. But honestly, being with all of my children and spending time with them as much as I can, like I said, I have one that's off at Baylor right now and she's in pre-med and just passionate about what she's going to do in her life. And so she's super busy, but every little moment I can still with her is great. Times with my son certainly are just amazing. So I, I, I try to dedicate as much time as I can to my family, but I, I do enjoy golf. When nice. I get well, I have some history with Baylor as well, so sick and bears. All yeah. right, so uh, what what are you like a favorite movie, favorite TV show? What do you like to watch? So I I love The Office, and I've always liked it. And actually, The Office has become sort of my in the middle of the night when I wake up with all these problems in the world that I'm trying to solve. I can put The Office on and fall right back to sleep and just listen to it because I've seen every episode a bunch of times. So um, I, I I I love that. Um, movie wise, it's interesting, and there's a lot of great movies. But one that I joke with my family about, um, I really really like the movie Gladiator. Um, came out a number of years ago, maybe 15 years or so ago, um, uh, and just was such a, a, a neat movie. And every time that it comes on, it's one of those that every time it's on, no matter where it is, I'll stop and watch it. And then I joke with my family going, well, I don't know that I've ever seen this movie. What is this movie? And they just throw stuff at me and yell at me. But I love I love that movie whenever it comes up. It's one of those I just can't put down. And I'm diehard Dallas Cowboy fan, regardless of the ups and downs. Uh, and the frustrations that are there so many times. My grandfather worked for the Cowboys for 22 years, and I just love the Cowboys and all the pain that that causes me, but joy as well. <laughs> That's a cool storyline. So Gladiator, I'm assuming the Russell Crowe, Ridley yeah. version. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah He's just so cool. tough and cool in that movie. It's just... I think, wow, you know, that's that's a guy there. It's something else. I love it. <laughs> Crazy. Where's the family vacation spot that you enjoy wow. going? We have been so blessed. Well, my wife's family is in Southern Louisiana, so we try to go there as much as we can. And she's got a lot of brothers and sisters, so we try to spread out and do that. We've been so blessed. We have a wonderful family that we've gotten close to that has a, a home down in Southern Florida. Unfortunately, it uh, it got destroyed during the, the 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 hurricane that blew through there. But they had a home down in Sanibel Island, and we would they were kind enough to let us go down there in the summertime. They don't use it much in the summer, and let us go there. And we've tried to go there a few times, and uh, it's just such a beautiful beautiful place. And and we've been blessed to have such amazing friends that uh, that 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 have allowed us to kind of accompany them on fun vacations. We have some great friends on the East Coast we go see, and and in New Mexico and, and other great places we love to ski when we get a chance uh and and try to make it up into the the rockies a little bit and do that but really uh florida has been a real special place for us and uh and just sort of that moment to disconnect and un unhook and it's been so nice 
where's one place you and your wife want to go soon? Oh, yeah, we, um, I've never, I've, I've spent a little time in Europe as has my wife, neither ones have ever been to Italy and we're just dying to go to Italy. We're, we're, we enjoy a glass of wine on occasion and it just seems like such an amazing place with the history and the art and, 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 and just the food. And I'd love to be able to spend, I don't know, weeks there touring up and down Italy and seeing that beautiful country. Um, with my work, the most of the countries that I go through while are amazing and beautiful, usually the parts that we are in are the developing parts because that's where there's an orphan need. And so we don't always get to see the pretty parts, but uh, that's a spot which she and I would love to go to uh, hopefully someday soon. When you have friends from out of town visit, where are some places you like to take them in the Dallas-Fort Worth area? Yeah. Um, well, we we always want to try to make a run through the stockyards here in Fort Worth, especially those that are from the East Coast. And it's great because they just embrace it so much. They just they get into that vibe and um, and and do that. So we'll absolutely go. We've got some friends coming in, in the next few weeks and we're, we're already planning a trip down to the stockyards and kind of wander through that and ride the train and stuff like that. So we always try to go do that. But as you know, North Texas got such a diverse uh, area from the museums and, and the art and just and just the, the golf courses and just the greatness that's here. It's such a diverse area. It's, it's such a blessing. But we like to do that stockyard part. We used to, growing up, we'd go to Spaghetti Warehouse there at the stockyards all the time. That was like the go-to spot. So it's an amazing area for sure. Talk about, on your end, legacy. What do you want, you know, many, many years from now, obviously you're creating your personal legacy every single day, but many years from now, what do you hope people say about you and your impact with your family and obviously with Gladney? Sure. On the Gladney side, I'll start there. I'm, I'm like all of us, I'm a flawed person and not perfect. And I'm trying to surround myself with people that are way smarter than me that make me look good and, and we can work together. But at the end of the day, I, I hope that, that, that when they look back on the history books, when I'm long gone and they go, wow, Mark was a person that, that truly did care for the, what's in the best interest of our children that we work with and was trying to always make things better. Um, I'm not, I get bored quickly. I don't know if it's ADHD or what, but I get sort of bored being stale and stagnant. I'm always in this process of how do we improve what we're doing? How do we make our systems better? And sometimes we're right on those. Sometimes we make mistakes and we learn from those mistakes, but I'm hopeful that that we'll look back and go, this was a time really for change, not only for Gladney, but the child welfare system. And Gladney was really leading that charge. We're launching our 10-year strategic plan and, and it really does call for a lot of change in that area and how we can improve that process. So hopefully that will be the case. I hope uh, from my family standpoint, there's never a doubt that every single day I, I loved them more than life itself. And, and they were my very first priority. I try to balance that work-life balance. And, and as the CEO of an organization size of Gladney, sometimes they take a back seat. But um, I'm, I'm trying every day to earn their 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 grace in my efforts and what I'm doing, and then bring them along with me as well. My, my family's been blessed to get to go on some of these outings and events we've done with Gladney and trips and things like that, and really show them the passion of what we do. And hopefully that's being instilled on them as well. But um, at the end of the day, the more I can be there for them and and, and they truly believe that I, 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 I had this unwavering love, and, and I, I think I've done my job. Wrap up with where we can go to learn more. So mention the website for Gladney Center for Adoption. Where can we go? Yeah, just you can go to gladney.org and that'll find everything that that uh, in in the world around what we do as an organization. We also um, we also own another set of sites called adoption.com. 
and there's great adoption resources that are on that are on there. That adoption.com is built to be a resource for all adoption. And we're blessed to get to operate that organization and introduce adoption to so many wonderful people that are out there. So go there and find out information as well. But heck, you can reach out to me directly. That's it. Call, come to Gladney, call the number and I'm here. So um, we're happy to help and share our story to anybody that'll listen and, and answer questions about adoption as much as we can. Gladney.org, G-L-A-D-N-E-Y.org. So Mark Melson, President and CEO, thank you for all you do. You are a change maker, amazing team. Greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast. You bet, Jeremy. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this opportunity. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Changemakers podcast produced by City Current and brought to you by Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance. To learn more about our guests and share your stories of others leading by example, visit us online at citycurrent.com or follow us on social media using at citycurrent. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you listen. Now, think big, start small, and act now. Be a change maker.